Hello again. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and welcome to the latest readout video based on our Wednesday wake-up email newsletter, to which, as always, we encourage you to subscribe. And those of you who do subscribe will have noticed a gap because we did take a vacation, despite fearing that everything would fall apart in our absence, proving we shouldn't have gone, or, even worse, that nobody would miss us, proving we shouldn't have come back. This time it was mostly the former. While we were away, the BBC unmasked the great conspiracy to deny climate change, of which hostile commentators frequently claim that we are a well-paid part. And what really stands out isn't the breathless tone of, quote, the audacious PR plot that seeded doubt about climate change, end quote, but the feebleness of their claim that somehow something called the Global Climate Coalition, a minor group with a tiny budget that disintegrated two decades ago, Nevertheless, deviously out-argued the united voice and billions in funding from governments worldwide backed by a supposedly authoritative settled science consensus. As with the claim that the climate itself is so fragile that some minor perturbation will send it spiraling downward to catastrophe, it shows that the alarmist case is so feeble that, when challenged, many of them quickly retreat into comforting conspiracy theories rather than confront their own lapses in logic and evidence. The BBC even quoted Al Gore that, quote, I think it's the moral equivalent of a war crime. I think it is in many ways the most serious crime in the post-World War II era anywhere in the world. The consequences of what the oil companies have done are just almost unimaginable, end quote. Really? Worse than the Cambodian genocide? Yet for some reason the BBC didn't mention that in 2012, Gore sold his current TV to Qatar oil sheik-funded Al Jazeera for $100 million, 200 times the GCC budget, cashing in on this crime with a satisfied smile, or that the GCC dissolved in a welter of bad publicity back in 2001. Nor did it analyze the failure of all those idealists out there, with all that money and the settled science on their side, to out-argue a sinister petroleum-smeared lying denialist corpse. Though the obvious conclusion is, they must be pretty incompetent. Oh, and speaking of settled science, we did have to throw in that a leading French physicist really did just admit that his much-retweeted vivid photo of the star Proxima Centauri was actually a slice of chorizo. He did it to demonstrate that we should, quote, learn to be wary of the arguments from positions of authority as much as the spontaneous eloquence of certain images, end quote, which apparently irritated rather than enlightening people. And another thing that didn't get better while we were relaxing was the herd of independent minds getting the inspiration to shut down farming to keep the world from bursting into flames. In the Netherlands, the public reaction to that plan is going from bad to worse, but here in Canada, the federal government jumped on the bandwagon with plans to cut nitrous oxide emissions from fertilizer in the middle of an inflation crisis with looming food shortages. Yet, if you plug this initiative into one of those famous computer models and say how much difference it will make to global temperature in 2100, the answer is not even one one-hundredth of a degree. Bring on the pointless misery, they say. But we say, look, when a scheme to combat warming has no effect on temperature but causes huge economic harm, it doesn't just reduce our capacity to adapt to whatever future changes we fail to prevent. It reduces our capacity to pursue other measures in the present that might potentially accomplish something more useful. And if the Canadian government stays true to form and continues to bungle its main GHD reduction plans while crushing farming, it will be a display of destructive incompetence remarkable even by Ottawa's increasingly impressive standards. Here I'm going to interrupt myself without even banjo music, to tell you a fundraising pitch is coming, to thank everybody who's already supporting the channel, and to ask the rest of you to step up with a small pledge or a big one, monthly if you can manage it, by clicking here, so that we can continue to produce the videos and the newsletter. 
There's a lot that goes into it, researching, writing the scripts, video production, and we'd also like to expand our presence on other social networks. That is a big part of getting the message out these days. And by the way, for those of you who've been wondering, yes, we are on Rumble as Climate DN. But there's a lot of other places we need to be. That takes time and effort, and time and effort take money. So again, click here. $3 a month, $5 a month, more if you can afford it, and we'll keep bringing sanity to the climate debate across platforms. And now, back to the show. In the newsletter, we also note grumpily that while we were away, another scare story went extinct without apparently needing our assistance. Specifically, the Great Barrier Reef, which was due to be laid to rest next to emaciated polar bears, the charred remains of the Amazon rainforest, and now those adorable puffins as well as penguins, had the bad taste to burst into its own funeral in perfect health and godly dressed, shrugging off recent bleaching events as if they were all just part of the rich dynamism of nature or some such rubbish. Through gritted typeface, the Australian Institute of Marine Science said, quote, continued coral recovery leads to 36-year highs across two-thirds of the Great Barrier Reef, end quote. Hooray, right? Not to alarmists. The BBC groused that, quote, Great Barrier Reef sees record coral cover, but it is highly vulnerable, end quote. And of course, quote, the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority, which manages the reef, says the outlook for the icon is very poor due to climate change, end quote. Presumably that would be the same climate change that has, for the past 36 years, helped the coral grow to record levels. Peter Ridd, the guy shamefully treated by James Cook University and then the Australian courts, gloated in a paper for the Global Warming Policy Foundation that, quote, the media makes much of occasional setbacks to coral cover, but a measure of the health of an ecosystem is the ability to recover from a major stress. Frail systems will not recover. Robust systems recover well, just as healthy people recover quickly from disease, end quote. As he added, quote, it is also unreasonable to expect that the small temperature rise over the last century, one degree Celsius, will have caused much impact, especially as it is well known that most corals go faster in warmer water, end quote. Undeterred, the August Times attempted to give the renewed coral a good kick. But it accidentally gave the game away instead, an editorial admitting that the main man-made threats to coral are unrelated to temperature, and then inserting the other foot with, quote, Though the reef was born in the Miocene era, some 20 million years ago, the threats to its biodiversity have emerged quite suddenly. These include, preeminently, climate change." End quote. Bosh! And not just because the Times has no idea what threats to the reef's biodiversity might have existed 15 or 3 million years ago. It's that their reference to the Miocene, which is the first epoch of the Neogene period within the Cenozoic era, and lasted from roughly 23 million to 5 million years ago, underlines that, as Wikipedia notes, quote, as the Earth went from the Oligocene through the Miocene and into the Pliocene, the climate slowly cooled toward a series of ice ages, end quote. So, it was a lot warmer than today for 20 million years, during which coral flourished, but today's lesser warmth is deadly in some weird way not seen before, and also not matched in the Holocene climatic optimum, considerably warmer than today, or the previous Emian interglacial, also considerably warmer than today, and which also unaccountably failed to whack the polar bears. In short, lots of climate change, lots of coral. Likewise, in a classic case of alarmists taking for granted that their case is proven no matter what the evidence, the Telegraph started its story on this topic, quote, Australia's Great Barrier Reef is bursting back to life in remarkable fashion after being damaged by warming waters, a new investigation has revealed, end quote. Whereas, of course, the health of the reef calls into question, to anyone whose mind is not mixed up and set like concrete, the notion that warming waters were causing damage. So, the alarmists say, never mind the recovery, continue the funeral, 
Just lie down and keep still, will you? And another thing. We went away for two weeks, and West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin switched sides on the massive U.S. climate and all good things bill. And for now, the usual suspects are in a state of rapture over how it will save the planet. So, all done, right? Can we now talk about something else? No. And look for them, in short order, to switch back to claiming America's the leading climate stinker and needs to finally take action. Their euphoria is going to fade faster than a summer tan. Oh, the story of Canada's decision to allow the return of repaired turbines to Russia's Nord Stream natural gas pipeline also seems to have gotten worse. Especially our overwhelmed Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie saying, the Canadian press reported, quote, We called his bluff. It is now clear that Putin is weaponizing energy flows to Europe, end quote. It was clear long ago that he was weaponizing energy, and that his claims on Ukraine were as hallucinatory as assurances were worthless, and that the time had come for action, not bafflegab. Metternich is spinning in his grave, and Putin is pocketing his turbine and slashing the flow of natural gas through Nord Stream 1 to a fifth of its capacity, surprising only the kind of fools who so shamelessly substitute words for deeds that it has by now become an unconscious process. The newsletter also notes another entry in the climate porn category. NBC's, quote, More human remains have been found at drought-stricken Lake Mead National Recreation Area east of Las Vegas, authorities said Sunday. It's the fourth time since May that remains have been uncovered as western drought forces the shoreline to retreat at the shrinking Colorado River Reservoir behind the Hoover Dam, end quote. And of course, NPR informed readers that, quote, Lake Mead has hit its lowest water level since 1937 and has filled to 27% of capacity, according to NASA. These droughts, exacerbated by climate change, continue to disrupt the West. The area is dealing with its driest period in at least 1,200 years, end quote. Which means there were similar conditions roughly 1,200 years ago that you can't blame on us. You also can't blame climate change for shooting a guy and dumping his body in a barrel. This poor fellow was just found. Even his own sister concedes that he was in the Mafia. But nor can you really blame climate change for fluctuations in depth since Lake Mead was created by the Hoover Dam back in 1935. You see, a series of wet years from the 1970s to the 90s helped to fill the lake after it was nearly this low back in the 1950s and 1960s. Here, you see the historical levels. And as usual, alarmists are playing fast and loose with the effects of climate change and with the date on which those effects supposedly began to be unmistakably obvious. On the plus side, refreshed by our break, we decided to start a new feature at CDN where we take on some common truisms about global warming that everybody knows, but that turn out to be wrong or misleading on close inspection. Feel free to help us out by sending in your suggestions to admin at climatedn.com and be sure to include a hyperlink to the place where you see a questionable claim being presented without question. For our part, this week our inaugural visit was to Huntsville, Alabama, where the local TV station showed just how bad the hot weather's getting. Since 1970, summertime temperatures have gone up and up, as shown by the increase in the annual number of days above 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Everybody knows we've never had weather like this before, especially everybody who's careful to start their data set at the end of the mid-20th century cooling period that lasted until the 1970s, because we find, courtesy of the Alabama State Climatologist, that's Professor John Christie, that the complete record of annual days above 95 degrees Fahrenheit back to the 1890s paints a very different picture. Again, if you spot a claim in the media that everybody knows is true, but that you're doubtful about, send it to us at admin at climatedn.com and we'll check it out. For instance, the idea that heat's especially deadly. A recent study from the UK examined data on 10.7 million deaths in England and Wales from 2000 to 2019, 
and found that, yes, unusually hot weather killed an estimated 791 people a year, but cold killed 60,753, making it 77 times deadlier. Maybe because, at least in part recently, the cost of home heating has gone up so much in response to hysteria about hot weather. In the newsletter, we also dug into the CO2Science.org archive for a paper that says we know that there are terrestrial imprints of the solar cycle, and quote, even when, quote, the implied changes in solar irradiates seem too weak to induce an imprint, end quote. So, instead of ignoring unwelcome data, they tried to figure out how a signal that was apparently too weak to have a meaningful effect might nevertheless correlate with visible results. And it seems the answer, at least in part, is changes not in how much solar radiation is coming in, but in the reflectiveness of the planet's surface, which affects how much gets bounced right back out again. And you might be annoyed that their finding is situation complicated, more research needed. But when a situation is complicated, that results beats people going, situation simple, nothing to see here. Once again, that latter attitude could fairly be called science denial. So for the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson. Back from the sunshine, but still thinking about it.